Welcome to episode 46 of the Digital Fabrication Experiment, a podcast about all things CNC. I'm Winston Moy, and I'm joined by my socially distant co-hosts, Eddie Kramer and Chris Lee. We're hobby machinists, and we'd like to bring you into our conversations about life in the shop and topics in making. And I would ask both of you how y'all are doing tonight, but we do have a guest tonight. So, Sammy, why don't you start us off? How are you doing? Hey, all Thanks for having me. It's super nice to be here, right? I've been working from home for the last couple of weeks, and it's super nice to be able to uh, sit down and talk about CNCs and making things with you. Welcome back to DFX, Sammy. <laughs> Happy to be here. Yeah. Glad you're back, because I actually missed you the last time you were on, so. Oh, that's right. Finally coming around full circle. <laughs> so, is everyone staying safe? I think, Chris, you're the only one that's still uh, working the day job, like, physically there, right? Yeah, I guess so. Yeah, I'm still in contact with a bunch of people every day, so that kind of worries me, but, um, you know, everyone's wearing masks and stuff and trying to trying to stay away as far as they can, so... Um, the only thing that I'm always worried about is like we we only have one live tool do sunlight and the operator and I are both touching it all the time so I'm constantly just dousing my hand in alcohol and hand sanitizer trying not to touch my face which is a lot harder than it looks it's funny you mentioned masks I uh I don't post selfies very often on Instagram but I got uh, a sweet t-shirt from within tolerance podcast which is one of my favorite podcasts so I had to post that and uh, I got some feedback, like it was, I was in the shop, which for me is the garage, right? <laughs> so, um, I guess not everyone knows that, but they're like, how come you're not wearing a mask? And I'm like, I'm the only one here. <laughs> I have no employees and I'm already at home. <laughs> so, uh, but that's kind of good. You know, I, in a way I appreciate the, like the, that kind of question. Like if there's, cause there's still not, there's still a lot of people probably not complying, going with the program, so to speak. So it's good oh, yeah. to be have there's, a reminder every once in a while. There's tons of people not complying at all. So, um, yeah, that's good. It's good to see that. But um, yeah, so far we're still we're still kicking and still working at work, still going in. Um, we'll see what happens, you know, as things develop and take it from there. Luckily, our company is I I, I think it's very generous. But basically, uh, if needed, like the first two weeks is covered by the government. I think. And then they're giving us an additional 13 weeks paid if needed uh, after that. So I'll have a total of 15 weeks if, if for some unforeseeable event, like I get coronavirus or something happens to me or uh, as someone in my family gets it and I need to take care of them, I'm covered for at least that much. So that's, it's a nice little safety net. Yeah. It's yeah. especially, you know, considering your this is your first year there. That's really good. That's yeah. awesome. So, yeah. So super grateful. Staying safe. Yeah. And Sammy, you're, uh, you're, you're still in Portland. Tonight, right? Or yeah, I, I am. Um, I have not been able to go to the shop because I share a shop and um, with a few other local makers. Um, Avid CNC is based in outside of Seattle in a small town called North Bend. So um, I'm not near HQ. So I've been staying home. Unfortunately, my machine is in my shop because it's rather large. It definitely won't fit in my house. Um, so I've been trying to find alternative ways to stay busy and to um, keep making things. Um, definitely have been trying to do some deep dives into uh, practicing CAD CAM and on Fusion, um, some, some things I'm not as uh, familiar with. But I've been staying really busy and trying to pull out all these projects I've kind of abandoned. Um, I have some kind of CNC 
wood artwork that I've been working on and um, designing some cool furniture projects. So I've been staying busy and um, healthy and well. So I feel also very fortunate to still get to be working and um, working content and doing what I love every day. It's just not, it's just a different, it's just a part of it that I normally do. Um, so I like to keep it mixed up and go to the shop and work from my home studio. But um, I still feel, I feel really lucky for having the opportunity to to work and, and to make things and be creative and in touch with the maker community, you know? Do you have um, any kind of machine at home, a 3D printer even, or...? No, I, I have, um, actually, I have my shape Oko that I might pull out <laughs> and try ah, to, uh, yeah, um, give some love because I haven't done that for a little while. Um, but I, I have so many projects. I'm, well, we're currently remodeling a, a bathroom, so I've been re, re, redesigning a bunch of interesting um, built-ins for that and, um yeah. So unfortunately I don't have a 3d, I don't, I am not as uh, in the additive game. Um, definitely team subtractive. So <laughs> <laughs> how about uh, you, Winston? Are you ca- all caught up on your video queue now or you've been doing the uh, so live cast, right? Yeah. The live stream, it's been fun. Live stream. Um, oh, just I love because it. like, I love it. There's yeah. It's nice to like sort of have a real time interaction with people. Um, and like, they can actually ask you questions that are like just, on their mind it's show me your pants (laughs) (laughs) i was wearing pants that day chris um but like people can just if they have a question or concern they can just voice it they don't need to wait for like the right time because whenever i post a video usually like we try and keep things focused and people are trying to keep their questions relevant to whatever it was that um was just covered so the live stream is just like a people sort of feel more free to ask whatever they want um, and I can sort of just take my time and walk through uh, making a certain example project and whatever comes to my head, I can sort of interject that and try and provide a little more value to them. Um, because when I'm making videos, it's, it's extremely structured. I write a script and I try and include everything that I think is relevant in there. Um, and then once I record the dialogue, like the content of that video is locked in. Um, so here I can sort of ramble or if someone asks a question like, hey, what if I wanted to change this or that feature? What tool would I use? And so we can just explore all those different opportunities. So the live stream has been fun. It's just been challenging trying to come up with something that will fit like a one hour time block um, and be interesting and be something I can uh, complete relatively confidently without screwing something up. Uh, so it's just I sort of have to find a balance in terms of the complexity of the project and like my personal interest level in it. So I can't like make another like knife cause it's going to take hours and hours of CAD modeling and I can talk through like days worth of information on it. Um, but I'm trying to try to find a happy medium and everything. So um, yeah. I think uh, that's a really interesting thing about, uh, the live stream format. It's so free form and people can ask questions as you go. And um, it can have a little bit more, you know, you can be adaptive to what people are interested in and, and you get that live feedback, which is really interesting. I've definitely been tuning in because I just, you know, need to hear other people, you know, even if it's just going on in the background when I'm working on um, a model or something, it's nice to just hear someone talking about uh, a project or a process and that kind of thing. Yeah. And it can actually like, it's legitimately a two-way conversation mm-hmm. um, instead of just like, Hey, here's a video. Here's what I did. And like people can, can chime in if they have something to add, mm-hmm. but 
for the most part, it's like you're not really building that um, that relationship between like you as like the quote unquote expert and the user. So I I do appreciate just being able to connect with people just a little more closely with a lot less latency. Like I do something and they can immediately chip in with a question or comment or concern. Are you doing this on uh, YouTube or Instagram TV? Uh, YouTube, um, just because okay. like I've done live streams there before, so I'm sort of comfortable with like streaming through um, Open Broadcast Studio. Um, my boss was telling me like, "Hey, look into like Zoom or Meetup or whatever other things," and I looked into them, and I mean, there there's some limitations there. There are some benefits. Like one of them has like a whiteboard mode, so I can like quickly throw up graphics, draw on it, which would be nice. Um, but I can do everything I need to do, and uh, we immediately have like a permanent record of it because like YouTube will save it, and I can put it in a playlist. Um, so it just it keeps all our content in one place. Uh, but that's just my personal take on it. Some people like they might make a Twitch channel or use a different um, live streaming or uh, meeting setup. So are these up on YouTube for the people that couldn't see them? in real time can they, go they back are up it? on youtube they're on the okay. carbide 3d channel there's a playlist if you go to the channel page if you scroll about halfway down that's the carbide office hours um playlist i would recommend okay. starting at the second episode and not the first one <laughs> okay just a quick question about your setup are you using a dslr camera for the thing or you got a webcam Nope, uh, just a webcam. I have okay. a Logitech, I think like C920 or something. So it's one of the, the better ones. And it's one of the ones uh, whose prices shot up on Amazon because everyone was trying to buy webcams. <laughs> um, but just because I'm minimized to a small corner, you don't need like super high SLR video quality being piped into OBS. Um, so it's, it's good enough. I mean, okay. people don't want to see my face. They want to see Fusion or Carbide Create or something. Your pants. Pants. Yeah. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> no, you've definitely inspired me. I really want to start doing some, this is something conversations we had at Avid CNC also was that live stream is such a great way to get in touch with the community. And this is such a perfect time to start doing it because people's eyes are on channels like uh, or platforms like YouTube and different social media things. And it's been really interesting to see the content that's been coming out because I feel like there's so much solidarity in the maker community in this time. But then also in general, you can always see how makers work together. They know that they're stronger together than apart. And, you know, they do compete for sponsorship and that kind of thing. But you can also see how they know that they can support each other's channels and they were com usually competing against like viral videos of goats and ESPN, <laughs> but now they don't have sports to compete with. And we have full time people on the internet, you know, having the time and the opportunity to learn new things, things that they time that they didn't have before. So it's really, it's really cool to see that uptick in, uh, the amount of time people are putting and giving to content creators, you know? It looks like the other thing uh, makers, at least the 3D printing community is uh, keeping busy with is cranking out stuff to help with the, I guess, first, first responders and healthcare workers, right? Um, kind of yeah. deal with some mm -hmm. of the shortages on face shields and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. So many face shields. I, I yeah, think that's I've what I'm working on. <laughs> with all the people I follow on Instagram, I, I know someone like recently made 400 someone donated a thousand like the the numbers that we're seeing 
I bet among all the people that I follow, there's there's probably mid five figures worth of like like face shield frames being produced. Yeah, I'll be making them starting tomorrow. Actually, I got all the plastic and stuff in. Where I'm just gonna laser cut everything since it's faster, but. Uh, I have a pretty big order to fill. It started as 10 and then they just started adding, Hey, can you do 100? Can you do, can you do 300, 500, 600? Like, yeah, I, I can do it. Just give me the number that you need and tell me who needs it and stuff. So, um, like the city of hope in South Pasadena, uh, these are all contacts from people from when I work with and stuff. They, they found out that I started, I was going to make stuff for my old office and then word kind of spread. And now I'm, I'm trying to, I'm trying to bang these out as much as, as fast <laughs> as I can. Cause now I got a lot of people who want them and stuff. So mm-hmm. I'm going to be working on that after the day job when I get home and try to bang them out in the evenings. Are you doing that kind of the same design? I was working with the headband that takes the transparency sheets. Yeah. Um, yeah. Cause I want to laser cut them. So kind of that same style. I made some alterations and also put more space between the forehead and the shield so that they can use, uh, like, uh, if they want to wear glasses or anything like that. Oh, okay. the, the, the original one was like only like half an inch and is really tight to the face. So I moved it out like an inch and a quarter to give it some gap. And also when, when people wear PPE masks, then true N95 masks, they kind of stick out a little bit. So just to give some space from where the shield comes down. So it's not so tight against their face. Yeah, that makes sense. Are you, um, how thick can you, or how thick can the material be that you're cutting on the laser? We've cut one inch polycarbonate before. So, oh, okay. uh, wow. We, we can do whatever. The recommended thickness was like, I think three sixteenths or something. Yeah, uh, between three and five millimeters seems to work pretty good. So, we have a bunch of like four by eight sheets of acrylic, uh, eighth inch, three sixteenth quarter. And we're going to try, I'm going to do some stress tests to see what. Or like, is it easy to break or not? And throw it around yeah. and see what that, what the good, you know, material size seems to be to have not break on people. I want them to be able to take it off and throw it on the desk and not have it like snap or anything. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I'm using a uh, seedle here. I got a bunch of sheets in from Exometry. Nice. And, uh, yeah. So I've been buying those uh, overhead projector sheets, and then but if this keeps going, I'm just gonna end up buying like a giant roll of this stuff and doing what those yeah. kids from Georgia Tech did, and they just. They like they attach the roll to the laser, so it just goes up and into it. So they can just keep pulling the sheet and cutting and pulling the sheet and cutting. So if this ends up being a big demand that I'll have to scale up, I'll end up doing that as well. So do you guys know anyone doing anything else like that, especially ventilator parts? Well, I've seen a lot of people doing really scary looking ventilators. Yeah, so I get you know obviously that's you're starting to get into. FDA regulated class two, class three medical devices when you get into ventilators, right? Yeah. Like the first thing that comes to my mind is like, okay, let's say you're put in a situation at the hospital and there are normal, there are no more regulated ventilators to use. And you have somebody that you know that has it and needs one. Would you use something that was created by the maker community? Like, would you even let them allow like the nurse to put your family member on that ventilator? It works. Yeah. It's not certified. There's a whole bunch of legality thing, but when it comes down to that point, maybe you have to choose, right? What's more important at this, at this very moment? Because if you say that you don't want to use that because it's not cla- like classified as whatever, then you're not getting anything, right? And I, I feel like something is better than nothing. It's just that this is really scary water because let's say it does fail or something does happen, then what are the ramifications of that other person 
protected under the Good Samaritan law. Like, you know, I, I don't know. Then this whole thing blows wide open into this really strange conversation. But um, yeah, I don't know. I feel like we, the government needs to just be like, hey, all you companies make this go. Like we need hundreds of thousands ASAP, just like we did in all the wars that we won. It's kind of the same thing. Like once our manufacturing kicks into gear, we can manufacture a crap ton in a week as long as we put our mind to it. So mm-hmm. I'm just kind of waiting for that to happen. Yeah, I'm, I mean, there's a. I'll add a couple of things. Like in the the stimulus package, the PACE Act, right? There actually is um, a waiver of liability for manufacturers and um, anyone making basically. Well, I won't say anyone, but uh, people following FDA guidelines for making. Uh, stuff to help with COVID, like ventilators and stuff. But you still have to, you know, you still have to follow the, as far as I can tell, you have to follow the FDA guidelines, um, which means it has to be, you know, go through FDA approval. If it's a new design, um, you probably have to have a facility that meets FDA requirements as far as uh, cleanliness and clean room and all that kind of stuff and traceability of everything. I don't know if they've waived any of the, I won't call it red tape, but the, you know, the normal process, right, to get a, medical device on the market Mm. Um, yeah other other than maybe you know human testing but as far as manufacturing goes it's going to be limited i would think to people that are either already doing fda uh, certified work or can very quickly kind of come in compliance with it so i'm actually potentially this week going to be involved in some ventilator part production but kind of it's all in limbo with the fda right now so that's we're waiting to hear back um, it's a university project. So I think they were already like had this going on before COVID broke out. So they're just kind of accelerating this lower cost design. And, uh, we'll see. It's like the one part I'd be making uh, out of the probably hundreds are part of this thing. You know, like I have the one that's good for my machine that I can crank out pretty quick, but I don't know if I can make it yet. So we're still kind of waiting to find out who's, who can do it. Or who's allowed to do it is probably the right word. Yeah. The liability thing used to be my biggest concern because, like, there's a lot of responsibility. What if your DIY ventilator fails? But um, recently, there's a really interesting video by a channel called Real Engineering. um, And he talked about a lot of the biomedical design considerations that actually go into, like, full-fledged ventilators. Um, And there is a lot of good information in there. Um, So to summarize everything he said really briefly, um, there's a lot of things about um, like forced breathing that is potentially problematic with these uh, cheaper open loop ventilators um, because the breathing rate is controlled by the machine. And so if that's out of rhythm with what the body wants to do, the person could be trying to inhale while the, the bag isn't providing air if like if you go out of sync with it. So the the quote-unquote good ventilators, there are mechanisms that they use to detect when a person's inhaling. It could be a pressure drop, it could be electrical activity in the diaphragm, and it'll synchronize the um, the assisted breathing with the person's like intake of breath. Um, so that's one thing. So these, um, like the machines that just squeeze a bag, the, the bag valve masks, you only really use them when you sort of sort of induce a coma or induce paralysis so that the body's muscles stop trying to fight the machine forcing air into their lungs. Um, so that's, it's a really scary scenario to be in. And um, it's, it's not the like, 
preferred way to do it. Like if there's no other way, um, they'll do it. But it is it's kind of a last resort kind of thing to use simpler machines like this. And then on top of that, there are long-term considerations that the um, the really expensive ventilators will control humidity. Um, because when you stick a tube through someone's throat and just dump air directly into their lungs, there's no time for the air to be conditioned by going through the, the sinus and throat passages. So it usually comes out really dry, and that can actually damage the, um, the alveoli in your lungs, uh, making them more sensitive to damage through overpressure or um, like fluid leakage. So like having to resort to using um, these simple DIY ventilators is a really scary situation. And what Chris was saying before, like, would you want to put a family member on it? Like, this is definitely a last resort scenario for me. Um, yeah. So, yeah. I mean, something like ventilator design is something that needs to be left to the pros <laughs> for sure. I think the opportunity is, you know, if you're working with a, a company or a university group, you know, somebody that's qualified to design something like that, and they're just they're just subbing out simpler components um, to somebody who doesn't have any expertise with the medical field, but knows how to make the component, you know, which is how it would work in the normal world anyway. Right. Um, that's kind of, there's some potential, I think to help source some of the stuff that I, I'm, I don't want to say they're companies. They're probably the ones, the ones that are coming out now are the ones that aren't necessarily tied to a commercial entity, you know, like the university and research community. So, yeah, I'm hoping to to get involved in some of that. I want to do something more than just face shields because um, I, you know, I have the new machine. I, I have some, you know, I have some good manufacturing capability here. Uh, not real high volume, but I can certainly help with um, you know prototyping and low volume production. So we'll see where that goes. Maybe I'll have an update on the next DFX. Um, so you guys doing anything kind of non COVID related on your machines or project wise? Anything interesting or fun? Uh, well, I guess since I'm the only homemaker with a machine uh, <laughs> that's being run, um, I this week the live stream was on a brass branding iron head that I made. Um, so I had these um, basically cut off sections of brass rod stock that have been sitting around for probably three years or so. And I finally decided, like people have been asking, can you make a branding iron on a shape oak? And I was like, you know what, I'm going to put my foot down. We're going to show them that it's possible and do it. And so I did and uh, turned out really good. Um, but there is uh, there's a little bit of a, a learning curve with that because a lot of the fine detail would require a small end mill or a V bit. And um, it's not so easy to implement in something like Carbide Create. You really want a, a package like Fusion where you get like ramping moves and uh, lead ins and just things that will not jam an end mill straight into a block of metal. Um, so I got to make a video on that next week, but I also have some other video ideas to run through. Um, and I also have at least two of my own personal videos that I got to find time to edit. But one of them I have some time on because I don't need it out before probably mid-May before SpaceX's next uh, crewed mission to the space station. Uh, the other one is just a, a really simple um, experiment where I just did some... Uh, drilling in wood, which I know people are, they're all like, oh, you shouldn't drill on a CNC router, RPMs, blah, 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 blah. So I figured I'm going to do some uh, CNC myth busting <laughs> and just try it out and just document those experiments. Hopefully it turns out better for you than it did for me. 
I think with uh, smaller diameter drills, it's not that big a deal because the SFM is lower. Um, and also the um, cutting forces going back into the spindle are really low. So even the like Shapeoka wouldn't have any issue with vibration or something, even if you didn't use like a spot drill, at least in wood or plastic. But that will be borne out with future experimentation. Yeah, my problem was the, the other end of that scale, I was using tiny little, like, uh, I think they were like 0.6 millimeter drills, which <laughs> runout starts to become a real issue with, with that tiny drill like that. I broke a few, yeah. Well, uh, what sort of cutter are you using on that? Winston? Um, so for so I have a project where I had to make like a little sort of radio enclosure. And for that, I had some plywood and I used a, I think it was a 0.9 millimeter PCB drill, um, just because those are eighth inch shank. So mm-hmm. it's just really easy to stick in a router. Yeah. But uh, I put in a, a McMaster order for some uh, like short uh, eighth inch and quarter inch drills. And uh, that quarter inch is probably going to be a little sketchy, but I'm going to try it in plywood, MDF, and plastic. So I'll just drop the RPM down to 10,000, try and do really quick peck drills with fast retracts and see what happens. Yeah, I found on the Nomad at least about 2.5 millimeters was as big as I could go. Um, And even then, I would occasionally install the spindle uh, in aluminum. Sorry, I should mention that. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, Shapeco, you have a lot more power going so. power but no rigidity like from yeah. like a, if you don't center drill it there's a good chance the drill bit will wander and if it wanders at all you're putting that lateral force every time uh you're basically just spinning off center right uh, probably not a great situation but all the advice that people give is just second hand or, or third hand it's just something they heard or they've read online uh i haven't seen someone really uh do it poorly and, and have something catastrophic happen. So I just want to see for myself what'll happen and hopefully uh, people will find that useful and they can do the risk assessment in their head. Do I just, I need to make an eighth inch hole. Do I just take an eighth inch end mill and just jam it into whatever material I'm cutting? Or should I use a 16th inch end mill and bore it out? So that's what I hope to find out. That's pretty cool. I, I like videos like that. Uh, the, the ones that actually prove, you know, what actually works and isn't, it isn't all just hearsay stuff. So yeah, and when you run the uh, when you run the quarter inch, I want I want that on the live stream. <laughs> <laughs> the the I'll problem is the garage is the furthest part of the house that's away from the router, so the signal's kind of weak there. Otherwise, yeah. I would totally live stream like actual machining. <laughs> Someone actually sent me um, like a, a live stream by uh, I forget who, but there's another more professional machinist than I who was doing a live stream um, just. Infusion, jumping to the machine uh, with a lav mic. And it was actually fairly good quality. They had multiple camera angles to pull from. Uh, it's actually really well done. And it uh, sort of gave me confidence that once I have better Wi-Fi um, and a better shop set up and maybe like more than one camera, I might be able to pull something like that off. I just need to make sure I've got a lav mic and the, the audio is as being pulled from as close to my mouth as possible because a shop environment is not really acoustically friendly. Yeah, it was like a, probably like yeah. a Bluetooth lav mic and then somebody else managing the s- stream. There were definitely two people okay. involved in this. Um, yeah. Solo live streaming is, is quite difficult. I do not recommend it if you can afford it. <laughs> hey, Sammy, I like when something you said earlier in the show that you're kind of using this downtime to focus in on some of the fusion uh, mm. features that you probably don't know as well. I think that's a great idea. Um 
We should probably have like a DFX challenge for the hosts here to all kind of <laughs> learn at least one new fusion feature that we're weak on yeah. by the next show. That'd be pretty good. Yeah. Um, I, I'm not, it's not going to be T-splines for me. <laughs> I'm still learning that one, but um, I have been playing around with Rotary, the, the Rotary toolpath for fourth axis. You've probably been using that. Same yeah, right? I was going to ask you how that was going, because I know the last episode you were talking about how you were going to dive in a little bit to the fourth axis. Um, it's definitely yeah. something I've been working on. Um, so at, at one of the side effects of this whole um you know, crisis is that all these events have been rescheduled, um, which is obviously a, a bummer, but a lot of them are being rescheduled, like Fusion Academy. Um, my friend Krenna, who's on the Fusion support team here in Portland, and I were putting together a Rotary intro to Rotary class for Fusion Academy. Um, so now we have a little bit more time to prepare, which is nice, but how, how has it been going on your machine, on the Neo? Really good. So, I actually, yeah, I ran Rotary for the first time um, earlier this week. Once I was doing a, a part in Delrin. Just mm-hmm. yeah, it's a practice. It's actually the first time I ran anything on the fourth axis on the Neo. And, uh, yeah, I used it for finishing. Um, I, I'm Winston, you can jump in here if you know otherwise. But I think um, it's intended as a finishing strategy, right? It's like you would... I use adaptive to kind of rough out everything and then finished up with rotary. Um, I think based on all the feedback I got on my Instagram page, I probably ran it the wrong direction, like as far as getting the best finish. So I was running it, I was basically rotating the A axis and just having the spindle move towards the chuck from the other end of the stock. And um, I think even you went to mention probably it would been better to have, uh, have the, spindle traveling more along Y or along my A axis and just barely have, you know, I wouldn't have to keep rotating the, the A axis as much between uh, passes because mm-hmm. that's, you know, of all the axis, the A axis is the slowest on my mm-hmm. machine. Yeah. So that's something I'll try. I'll probably run that part again. And then um, I think there's three different finishing or three different, uh, options in that rotary right there's you can go do what i did was basically spiral down the part i think there's line which kind of goes parallel with the rotary axis and Mm -hmm. then there's circle which is yeah which is like a full step i guess between uh rotations so i'll probably give them all a try and just kind of see yeah which one gives me the finish i like best yeah that's definitely um i'm glad you can get that kind of instant feedback where you you know, make the toolpath and then run the part. So you kind of see what the effects are in real life. It's really hard to predict that when you don't have your uh, machine right next to you, um, which kind of is why I'm trying to reframe this time where I I want to think about the things that I can do versus, um, and not as much about the things that I, I can't. So really do focusing on um, more about the design and and dive, deep dive into the CAM um, side of learning the new tools that Fusion's always adapt um, adopting and um, yeah so I, I've really tried to accept what I uh, have access to and the resources that I have um, which has kind of given me an interesting opportunity to think about the designs that I'm making and take time to do a lot more iterations. Um, for example, I've been doing all these furniture kind of really fast models and less thinking about exactly how they're going to be 
manufactured and made, kind of design the form of it, think about what I want it to be like, and then figure out and restart a model to kind of figure out exactly how I would approach the joinery or the fabrication of it. If I want to say, okay, the seat of this stool can be a double-sided 3D carve, and then the legs can be rotary, and really kind of integrate all these new opportunities for me to practice other aspects of it. Um, I've also been getting into the uh, uh, sheet metal side of fusion, which has been really fun and interesting to kind of figure out because I, I also have a plasma CNC in the metal shop at my studio, um, and it's a four by four foot bed, so you can cut pretty big parts, um, which is super nice. So I'm getting into the sheet metal side, which will be pretty cool. Usually just draw, you know, DXFs and then cut them out and you can bend them and all that. So have you played around with them? So there's supposedly, I don't, I don't know if it's in beta yet, but um, there's nesting in sheet metal infusion now, like auto nesting. Oh. So you can kind of like fill up your sheet with parts. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. I just don't know where it is as far as if it's something that's uh, cause they have like, they have different levels of beta, right? There's, controlled beta and then there's just stuff any of us can try by going into the cam features and turning on the preview or the beta feature so mm -hmm. i haven't looked yet to see if it's in there but, right under um, the I'm flags to try to, yeah exactly i want to see if it's there i want to give it a try for the the face shields i'm doing because i'm doing them out of like 20 by 16 sheet um 20 inch by 16 inch which like covers my bed perfectly on the neo oh okay cool but um they're, it's kind of an odd shape so it's hard to nest uh, in a grid, uh -huh. so you kind of have to just yeah, have a little bit, you know, a little bit smarter algorithm that can tuck a piece here and there wherever there's enough room. So I might give that a try. I just didn't know if you'd used it yet. No, no, I haven't used that nesting feature yet um, in the sheet metal okay. section. Hey, Chris, is, you you got anything going on at home? I guess you're still kind of setting up your shop in the new house, right? Yeah, and I I've just been working on the face shield and also looking at the respirator. Um, from Maker Mask. I'm trying to see if I can make this on a five axis machine instead of 3D printing it. Um, so just kind of focusing on that because especially I, I need to bang out a bunch of those face shields and stuff. So my focus has been solely on trying to get whatever they needed at the hospitals and, and the offices yeah. and stuff like that. Um, are, are you doing that at home? You have your laser at home or is that in your. Um... I, no, we moved that to an, a different shop. Okay. Because it has a giant like vacuum and everything. Because it's yeah, it's like that's, that's yeah. pretty big. <laughs> <laughs> it's a big machine. Yeah. No, yeah. we have that at a different shop, so I'll have to stop by there afterwards to to do all that. Yeah, I've I mean just kind of watching everything that's been going on on Instagram with you know the people kind of jumping in with the COVID stuff. Uh, it's like I'm starting to get laser envy. <laughs> Those look really <laughs> handy, really cool. Yeah, and our laser has a rotary axis as well. Oh wow! Oh, nice. Is it Eplock? What are y'all What are y'all using? It, it's it actually replaces the is it the X or the Y? It replaces one of them, and then um, it basically we can engrave like glasses and bottle of wines or whatever. You know, it yeah. just turns the thing yeah, it on. Is. So it, yeah, it's kind of neat. Is it an Epilogue? What what brand? Uh, it's it's a on? Boss laser. Oh yeah, okay. Um, it's kind of like the one Sonder has. Yeah, but uh, like it's got the windows, so we can put in like four by eight sheets and just slide them in. Yeah, and he's using his to do. The shields they're doing, I think it's all laser work. I don't think they're even running the CNC machines for that. I mean, the, yeah, honestly, the it's machines. you're not going to beat a laser for this yeah. type of thing, right? 
I, I would actually save all the CNC stuff to build like a, a, a legit respirator or some kind yeah, of N95 mechanical mask. parts. Yeah, yeah exactly. that needs a snap fit like a little bit better than than 3D printed stuff. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, I've been working on that, and my my UMC 500 is not going to be here until like mid May. I think they told me that the machine will be finished end of Ebu- end of April, and then probably I'm guessing another one or two weeks to get delivery everything sorted, and then the tech guy to come out and you know all that stuff. So. Um, Do you guys have any other kind of prerequisite stuff that you need to also be ordering, like comp- air compressor? Is I mean, our air compressor is actually pretty big already. I think yeah, it's the like capacity for it. Yeah, so hopefully there's not that much on the shop that runs on that simultaneously. So I think we'll be okay um, for that. We have the space. Foundation looks good. Um, basically, just all the smaller stuff, like you know, get a tank of coolant and right. get all the five-axis work holding stuff ordered because it's going to take six to eight weeks to get here. Yeah, and transformer. Is does Haas give you everything you need as far as power to hook up to three phase or? I don't know, but we already have three phase hundred amp on the wall ready to go. Yeah, I just didn't it's, know if there's, there's usually a transformer like a button. There, there probably plug is. Yeah, I'll check with them, but yeah. I, okay. I'm assuming they'll have everything that we need to plug in. As long as we can facilitate the power, so. Yeah, I just ordered a new compressor this weekend, so I, <laughs> giving up on my cat. <laughs> it's, I'm gonna probably kill. I'm gonna kill that poor thing trying to run it uh, the duty cycle the Neo needs. So I'm, I ordered a scroll compressor. It should be here. It's like I was worried I was not gonna be able. To, you know, there's gonna be back ordered or whatever because of the what's going on. But um, it looks like normal lead time for you know, let's say. Send me something on Monday. That should show up. The refrigerated dryer should show up, uh, I think, two weeks or three weeks from now, which is the normal lead time. Because I, I looked at this compressor last year, and it was the same same amount of a lead time for it. So we'll see. Yeah. So, no, everything seems to be good. I'm The most trouble I've had this entire process was not even buying the machine, but trying to figure out what's the best work holding solution yeah. for us right now. That's been, I, I literally have a fusion, I have multiple fusion files with the entire um, UMC 500 file in there with the B axis table and everything. And I basically imported all the models from Lang and Jurgens and fifth uh, Raptor and fifth axis. And I have everything that I think I want and I imported all 40 parts and I'm sitting there like moving stuff around. I'm moving and rotating the B axis and I bring the Z down to see what kind of clearances I have if I want to hit like the back of the part and stuff. So I've been going through this to make sure like which one's going to give us the best kind of access and, you know, for whatever. That's been the most work out of everything is trying to figure all that out. And, Mm -hmm. you know, this stuff's not cheap, so I don't want to make the wrong (laughs) decision. So um, everything else has been pretty easy. You're going with zero point, like the the base yeah. plates, and you can yeah. swap everything out. Hundred percent. I don't. I don't want to sit there and try to like dial in a vice every time with an indicator. I yeah, just want to be able to snap idea. it in. Yeah. Um, yeah. So that that's been the hardest part. But I hopefully when it gets here, if this stuff is still going on, I would just put that machine to make N95 masks. So that's why I'm trying to get a head start on developing something that I can physically machine to spec and snap together. You know. A little bit better than 3D printing. It's kind of a large part to make on a, a five axis. You're talking about like the the piece that goes over like directly over the face. Yeah, but my idea is to have that piece made from a solid block, and then do like a uh, some kind of seal break or something like a recessed seal. So then I can put a seal in. So that part is what's touching the face, the silicone, which can be conformed to whatever face shape it is. But that part itself, I mean, that part 
doesn't have to be aluminum. I mean, we can we can make it out of plastic or something. You know, I mean, it would be pretty badass out of aluminum. <laughs> just saying. I mean, it, I mean, you know, titanium, right? Where, where do we stop? But um, yeah, no, hundred. I'll probably make it out of aluminum and just to kind of get a feel. I mean, if I'm going to be testing the machine and figuring stuff out, might as well make something that's productive for stuff. So um, that's kind of my idea for right now. That's if everything continues the way that it is. Let's say we don't need it anymore, then I'll just shelve it and then move on to something else. I got a bunch of other stuff that I can make on there. Have you considered um, making like a master and then just doing like a silicone mold to cast uh, face masks? Yeah, I, I remember seeing, was it Fritz and Bits or somebody was doing that kind of stuff, right? Yeah. Yeah, it, definitely in the back of my mind. I've never done anything like that, so it would be a little bit of a learning curve for me, but uh, it's, it's in the back of my mind if it comes down to that. It's just amazing to see how all of these small businesses are pivoting to help make PPE. Um, there's so many CNC shops or fab shops in Portland that I've been seeing um, that friends work at uh, that have CNC machines or 3D printers and all of that and um, pivoting to make things or even all of the distilleries in here have been, you know, okay, we, you know, yesterday we made bourbon and today we make um hand sanitizer. So it's really interesting to see everyone kind of come together over this and uh, get to help out in their own ways that they can. Yeah, I, I think it's cool. And I, I hope the media kind of latches on a little bit to, to mm -hmm. shed a little bit of light on this kind of movement in the background that nobody seems to know about. Yeah. I mean, in our circle, we know, right? But I mean, as far as general public, like, and maybe uh, getting this out there will maybe get some kids to be more interested and kind of mm -hmm. change the way that they're because right now they're funneling kids through like this coding thing like they're starting them young like I have seven-year-olds who are doing like <laughs> basic coding you yeah. know it's like yeah whoa 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 like what happened to the hammer and the nail yeah, and yeah. you know stuff like that like so I, I'm hoping somebody picks the story up or maybe we can help with that and mm -hmm. get this story out to people and get them to put a spotlight yeah. on this so people know like, hey, there are people 3D printing stuff in their home. There are people that are manufacturing things and, and this is what makes us like good. You know, right. like this is the kind of thing that we can do when when stuff hits the fan. Like so. Yeah, and you see um, everyone, you know, not just in this uh, digital fabrication community, but the crafter community as well. You see people sewing masks and that kind of expands that kind of coverage and that kind of um, the different types of people in the maker community. So it, you're right. I really hope that that is something that's really widely publicized and people really in this time want to know how they can help. And I think that's this existential question. It's like, how do we find balance in our own lives, productivity, and you know, being whole at ourselves and then also kind of giving back. So yeah, hopefully, hopefully more people get to hear about that and um, share, you know, access to resources and files and all sorts of things. Yeah. And you'd be surprised, like in this day and age, like my nephews and nieces grow up not even knowing that things don't, they don't know why, but they just know things just show up on their door from Amazon. Like they don't understand like that somebody had to engineer design and make this. Like they don't, there's no wait period for them. If they mm -hmm. want something, it's literally there in like two days, right? Right. Maybe even faster sometimes. So like I've asked like kids like, Hey, how, how did, how, where did that come from? What you're holding in your hand? And they're just like, Oh, from a box. They don't even know right. that like, Dude, this, this comes from a thing that, you know, so like, if anything, I hope this kind of opens up like, 
that this isn't magic. Like people mm-hmm. actually have to sit here and think about the process and design and materials and things that come together. The, the multitude of things that have to come together to actually make a product. I hope that this is as part of that, like not only just expanding on what manufacturing ma- the maker mm-hmm. movement, but also like, Hey, this is like how it comes to be. It doesn't just show up in Amazon, like ready for you. Right. Like it comes from somewhere and people have to put, you know, their time and effort into designing and thinking about this. Right. And this is why, you know, some things are good and some things are bad because things can be poorly designed. Mm-hmm. So, I hope I hope that also comes with it. Yeah, you know that'd be kind of cool to see. Let, let alone all the people who pack boxes and work in the warehouses and deliver them and work, you know, the minimum wage jobs that we haven't given much credit to, um, that really keep our world moving forward. Yeah, and like the grocery store people, like they're the ones that super risk with no protective mm-hmm. equipment at all. Right, and they're the ones that you know. What I mean, I don't know. It's it's just bad, poor planning from every. Every everywhere. So, but we're grateful to them, and we really appreciate everyone who, especially, works in that service industry, and um, you know, helps us. The gears keep moving. So, yeah, absolutely. As Mike Rowe put it, the people who make civilized life possible—that's <laughs> yeah. that's them. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I'm pretty sure there's going to be you know a major rethinking of global supply chains coming out of the other end of this. Uh, you know, dependency on on one region, right? In particular, yeah. And we need to have some something at home. We need to make some of it here. We mm-hmm. can't outsource everything. Yeah. I mean, I think Chris, you talked about that a little bit last time. Is about manufacturing abroad, and that's something really interesting. I see with a lot of folks who use our machines to start their own businesses and start sub- giving opportunity and resources to support other communities within our own country and. Uh, you know, when something you might order online from abroad, now you have an opportunity to order it from somewhere locally. Um, so you see, I see that a lot with our customers and the kinds of things that they make and so that they don't, you know, sometimes they'll buy a machine so that they can cut out a supplier abroad who might, you know, if they ever were to lose that supplier, it'd be very difficult for them to continue their business. So if they can produce it themselves and get access to a machine um, whatever type of machine might fit their process. It's really interesting to see them kind of get their own independence as a small business. And so they can keep production going and support themselves. Yeah, absolutely. I totally agree with that. Not to mention it's a, it's a hell of a lot of fun. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, for sure. I've been thinking about that a lot lately about how to, um, I, I think you guys also had this great episode about intro to CNC, how to get into it. There are so many resources out there um, accessible. And I've been kind of since I also, you know, create YouTube videos and content about learning how do you CNC machines and um, how to approach it. I kind of find the YouTube platform is a great way to learn, but the YouTube playlist is kind of a nebulous uh, string of videos. You know, it doesn't really have this perfect kind of context in which to learn. So I've been one of the projects I've been working on and putting a lot of time to uh, since I have time on the computer at home is to really develop a coherent intro to CNC kind of masterclass curriculum. Um, Because we have, you know, I have videos about zeroing and how to, you know, um, a few introductory projects. And they, you know, you want to keep videos about five to 20 minutes, you know, anything shorter or longer than that, you don't have enough um, 
you know, you're not covering enough information. But if you just have one video that introduces what a post processor is or what is G code, all these different kinds of really generic concepts, you know, you kind of need to string them together in a way. So that's something I've been working on is um, a standalone uh, site with all, you know, using YouTube as a host for our videos, but integrating into more cohesive written text-based learning, some hands-on learning, and then also the visual uh, with YouTube education. So trying to working all those different learning processes into that um, platform. So I've been really thinking about how how to learn and how to teach CNC in a, in a more cohesive way. So that's a project I've been really excited about lately. And that's really good, especially um, if you, like if you could even download the, the Fusion project file mm -hmm. to get started. Yeah, absolutely. The tutorial, yeah, that's really good. Yeah, I like that idea a lot because I remember when I was trying to learn, it was basically scouring the internet and compiling information in my brain and watching hundreds of videos and right. trying to pick at things from each video and trying to figure out as I go along. So having a cohesive kind of linear way to learn would have been so much, uh, I would have learned a lot faster, you know, instead of taking this amount of time, mm -hmm. it, would been, it would have been just a few days. So yeah. I don't know if you guys played around with the uh, cut rocket. The that's a yeah carbide thing, I think. Right? Yeah. Yeah, it's basically <laughs> or, or our like a CNC version of Thingiverse. Yeah. It's a work in progress. <laughs> There's no video on that, right? It's just um, I guess you no. Link, link a it's video. it's mainly just user submitted stuff, but we haven't gotten too much like interesting stuff. The categories we have are like pretty basic, it's like tools, organization, uh, like art stuff, um, but like. Just based on sheer numbers, we don't quite have a, a thoroughly interesting uh, catalog of things that you can just download and make. Mm -hmm. Yeah, but the project files, I mean, they're already, they already have the cam done, right? Assuming you have a shape of um, go. They predominantly, like, I don't think anyone uploads like raw G code, but like if you have a Carbide Create file or a Fusion project, you can link to that. Um, and you can also type up some notes like, hey, I used an eighth inch cutter here, or like, this is the material I started with. So that's just like our attempt to try and make something that's a little more tailored to subtractive than Thingiverse or Prusa Prince or whatever else, what other repositories are out there. Because very few people, like it's much harder to share CNC files because there's right. so much more that goes into it. It's not just like, oh, your slicer will compensate for your machine differences. Like you need the right tooling, you need the right materials. Yeah, a lot more uh, variables. You need to tailor right. the speeds and feeds for your machine, yeah, so. Yeah, because GrabCAD's a nightmare, so <laughs> it's something a little bit better than that. Yeah. Have you guys considered um, non-visual media? Because I know personally, like, I love learning from YouTube, but I know there is a subset of our users out there who prefer, like, the written instruction manual or they'll go through, like, That's me. documents. Yeah. People prefer, like, fixed pictures that they don't need to, like, watch a YouTube video, pause, scrub ahead, find the part that they want to, like, really analyze. Have you guys given thought to like just written media, like articles and stuff like that in addition to the videos? Yeah, that's kind of my goal with this platform is to give a little bit to every single type of learning style. Um, if anybody's looked at our build instructions, they're more like the, um, what you just suggested, it's very text-based with still images, um, which are just, um, I guess, kind of, uh, black and white uh, line drawing renderings of our machines zoomed in on different steps. Um, so with this, I 
class. I, I really want to give folks a really strong foundation on which to build, and then they can go into watching, you know, videos on your channel or videos on Frank Howard's channel, you know, to, if you just kind of jump into, you can see all those uh, videos with, you know, if you look at um, uh, Wintergarten or, um, uh, you know, all sorts of makers who are doing really cool things, uh, Jaco, whatever, um, they're really inspiring. Um, but you're not necessarily given, you're given little light bulb moments, but to string them all together, it's really difficult, um, right? Like Chris said, you're like scrubbing the internet for these like little light bulbs and trying to put them all together. Um, so yeah, I definitely think that we have a very strong text-based um, for the build instructions. And that's another project I've been trying to work on while I'm in my little um, blanket fort isolation studio here is to work on our assembly videos. So it'll kind of give you an overview of each section. So this is the frame build, this is the riser build, the electronics installation, um, which will be like a five to 10 minute video. And then you have the written instructions which dive deep down into the very specific details, like put this rolling T-nut here with this bolt from this bag. Um, so we have both. Um, and I think combining all of those is really the uh, perfect storm for getting a strong foundation and knowing and uh, being really confident, you know, and taking away that hesitation uh, for learning and really to give people confidence and know that they can do this, you know. Yeah, I'm, I'm all for that. Uh, one of the things that I always preach to people is like anybody can do this. It, you don't need any experience. You don't need to have any background. All you just need to have is some sort of interest or passion mm -hmm. for it. And that'll take you thousand percent of the yeah. way. And I think I'm the perfect example of that. So like yeah. I, I try to preach that to everyone I see. Yeah, for sure. Well, I'll be sure to come give you guys an update whenever I have that, that project finished. Um, you were doing some furniture work lately, right? Or you were mm -hmm. pointing to some furniture in one of your stories recently and uh, it looked like I thought maybe that was one of your projects, but... Uh. <laughs> yeah, I've kind of taken to redesigning every corner of the house since I can't necessarily oh, awesome. build it right now. I'm trying to really envision um, every spot. It's kind of a running joke how I haven't finished building my breakfast nook yet because I haven't picked mm -hmm. a design. But now that I'm on my 15th or 16th iteration of the model, I kind of finally have the aesthetics down and I can really dive into... Um, exactly how I want because it's a little bit more complicated than a regular, you know, plywood box. It's got a little bit is I really like kind of um, an Art Deco mid-century modern kind of um, retro. It's a very bl mixed blend. So anyone check out my Instagram if you like <laughs> to see some um, very colorful fusion renderings of weird furniture. But um, I've just been trying to use. Um, some little prompts as a way to kind of make some model something quick to just make something every day to take a 30 make a 30 minute model um like i made a cactus couch and kind of take something that's inspiring to me like i've been playing a lot of um, um i've been playing a lot of animal crossing and all the uh blossom trees just bloomed so i was really inspired by the japanese blo uh uh, cherry trees. So taking little things that inspire you and um, all these projects that you're really looking forward to doing that you don't necessarily uh, aren't able to do right now to really dive deep into those designs and yeah, use this time to be 
productive if that's something that's you have access to. Um, that's what I've been trying to do is is to stay cozy but also stay productive. Yeah, weird furniture. It's fun. <laughs> <laughs> that's cool that you can derive inspiration from anything, even even video games. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and nature, you know, luckily we um, we finally got some sunshine here in Portland, so I'm thankful for that, and um, yeah. Well, guys, we're at about one hour. You guys want to wrap it up and uh, see if we can get some sleep? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, sounds good. All right. Well, thanks for the chat, guys. Thanks for having yeah. me. Thanks for joining us again, Sammy. It's great to have you again. I appreciate it. Yeah, it's good, good talking to you, Sammy. <laughs> Stay safe, everyone. Good night. Bye. Bye.